Hi, I'm Jonathan Smith. Welcome to our podcast, Training New Tricks, a series where we delve into the world of learning and development to unlock the challenges and successes of our industry in order to discover how to reinvent ourselves and our departments for the new world after coronavirus and make learning relevant. Obviously, I can't undertake such a broad and hugely important thing just by myself, and so each week I'll be with my old friend Nathan Akers, discussing things from classroom to digital, frames of mind to departmental structure. This is the podcast where two old dogs teach you new tricks. Teaching old dogs new L&D tricks. My name's Nathan and with me is Jonathan. And today we're going to talk about a lot of things, but we're going to kind of theme it around trust. Uh, What we've seen over the last few weeks has been perhaps in some areas a loss of trust and in other areas uh, an increase, a a building of trust. So uh, I I think what we'll do is we'll start off with a little bit of a pointed question. So Jonathan, yeah, what have you learned this week? Yeah, so good question. Um, I have, I have, um, had a meeting uh, today, in fact, and uh, with my meeting today, uh, it was all around how to train technology products. Not my forte at all. Um, so I have spent the last week trying to get to grips with um, uh, data manipulation uh, and stuff like that. But I'll tell you something, the um, I'm not, I've not really been one to use YouTube and stuff like that. You know, I occasionally go on there if I want to, um, to look up how to knock a nail into a, into a shed or something like that. But, um, I went on to YouTube and I came across a, uh, a, an American, uh, series, um, that went through from the very basics, uh, through to something rather complex and you just did not know. Um, that you were moving in something complex because the way that it was presented was phenomenally good. Uh, he was he was so clear uh, using examples from from everyday life, i.e., purchasing from Amazon, which we've all done, um, and something which you could really get your head around without using the jargon as well. Uh, and if he nice. used jargon, he explained it and said, "This is what it actually means." And I, I learned so much that I felt confident in having this meeting today talking about something which really I don't know anything about at all. <laughs> Just don't tell them. <laughs> what about you, Nathan? What have you learned? Uh, I've had a busy week. Uh, I, I got offered a free subscription, uh, obviously time-bound, to LinkedIn Learning, so I've so I've been doing uh, a little bit of LinkedIn Learning, um, looking at improving the quality of my PowerPoint presentations. Uh, I love the idea of PowerPoint being cleaner, being more succinct, being more to the point. Um, and this course, it was only an hour and a little bit, and it, it really it was it was a good introduction. Learned a little bit, uh, impressed there. But I think for me, I guess, learning this week has been about what do we mean by a partnership? Sometimes a partnership is just a unwritten agreement between two parties that say we're going to work together for the benefit of each other. Uh, other times it is something that is formalized in a contract. 
Now, I've, I've never been one to stand too highly on the idea of of contract. Um, I'm I'm big on relationship. I think that partnership is something that comes out of the quality of relationship you have. So for me, my learning this week has been understanding that partnership is not always what you think it is and that you need to be very clear about what your end game is, uh, where you're looking to be and ensuring that the other party has the same end game. How's that? Yeah, very good. Yeah, yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean with regards to um contractual legalistic kind of um relationships between um between the the company that we represent and the client company yeah it just seems to it just seems it seems cold <laughs> can i put that one yeah yeah that, that's a, that's a really fair and I, I think the interesting thing is that when you when you start thinking about the idea of a contract and when you start referring back to said contract you're really talking about a complete breakdown in trust aren't you it's there for that reason isn't it absolutely it is there for that reason so i think that's a, a perhaps a really nice lead-in to our topic for the week trust in government in education in organization uh, i've kicked that ball over to your court <laughs> so your, your yeah, side think... of the field so when you talk about things like this, what what always comes to my mind is um, the the Mulder and Scully quote from the X Files, um, that poster on the wall, yeah, classic <laughs> poster on the wall. Trust, Trust no one. No one. <laughs> yep. uh, and I kind of feel that that is that's almost like our default uh, setting, isn't it? Um, we default to that, and we say. I will not trust you until you prove that otherwise that I can I can trust you. And we are very, very quick or willing to move back to that position from a place of trust. But it all comes back to me. It's, it all comes back to that sort of tribal instinct, that, that instinct of um, the caveman of fight or, or flight. And it's the flight bit, isn't it, which is... Um, I'm not sure I want to trust you because I want to get out of here as quickly as possible. And <laughs> it, uh, it, it just manifests itself in so many ways. Like uh, you and I, we go into organizations. Um, we, we have a short period of time to build up uh, some pretty substantial relationships. And hopefully in there is a fair amount of trust. From the point at which they engage us, there is that element of, of trust, which hopefully we, we build through the, the conversations and the meetings. And what I'm talking about here is being in learning and development, being in training, people don't know if you're any good until you've actually stood up in front of class and done your bit. So if people are using us for the first time, then there is that element of trust that yes, what you say, I am trusting that you'll actually do that when you go into the classroom. Then we have the second tier of types of customers for, for my liking, which is those who have um, had some experience of us or know of somebody that's had experience of us 
And they are the ones who then say, well, because that person said you're okay, then I'm going to engage you. Then I'll get you to do it because it was all right for them. Therefore, I trust that it's going to be all right for me. So, so I, I trust them. Yeah. And because they trust you, by default, I trust you. Yes, that's it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like a, a deferred trust, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, yep. and then I guess you, you've got the third strata, which is when they have actually experienced your training, they realize it's good, and they say, well, I trust you to do the same again, irrespective of what the topic is. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't see you as a one-trip pony. I see you as somebody that I can rely on to do some decent work. If you say you're going to do it, you will do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're, you're going to take the time to do your research. You're going to think about your audience. You're going to think about the environment. Yes, I'm with you. Yep, I totally agree. And if we go through that process from start to finish, it takes a long time. It, it, you know, because there's a lot of evidence that they are looking for um, over that period of time to prove that their their initial element of trust, not the full 100%, but the 50%, mm. the 25%, was proven to be to be right, that they would prove mm-hmm. themselves to, to put that element of trust into you. At any point in that period of time, there are opportunities for us to lose trust, even if it's just the 25%, the not the full 100 blown, I trust you because you're as solid as oak. Um, it, there is that element for us to lose that that trust. And there's the old saying, isn't there, that, that trust takes years to build and seconds to break. And you look at the number of breakdowns in mm-hmm. marriages, for example, which kind of highlight that, don't they, quite substantially. But if we then translate that into uh, employed positions, then we have really interesting dynamics because this is ongoing. This is this is you either trust or you don't distrust your your colleagues, and you can't get away from them. Unlike us as contractual um, trainers, mm-hmm. where it's very easy mm-hmm. to say, "Well, you know, the contract says that I can break it, so therefore you're out." <laughs> or we don't need any more training for a bit, thanks, Nathan. <laughs> we, mm. we're, yep. we're, we're just going to do in-house stuff because there's no budget and all that kind of stuff, um, which actually belies the fact that there could be a breakdown of trust. So yeah. unlike that, as an employee, you've got a real problem because what happens if we don't trust the people that we work with? And in particular, what happens if we don't trust our manager or the leadership? Now, there's a... Um... There is a very regular occurrence, but it's an unspoken, isn't it? Too often, yes. Why? I can't really go to my boss and say, hey, boss, how's the day going? Oh, by the way, I don't trust you. <laughs> why, why are we so reluctant to be open and honest like that? Again, I think, it, does this come back to the, the distinction between being a consultant coming into an organisation or an employee within an organisation? Uh, and, and again, we're back to fight or flight, aren't we? If if I believe that in telling the truth, my future employment within this organisation will be threatened, that I, I think the natural thing to do is suppress that truth. You know, yeah. it is tolerate. What is the statistic? Um, one in three have left an organisation because of the manager, because of their manager. I, I think the reality is that not trusting that individual 
is probably frequently one of the causes of those one in three people leaving. Cognitive dissonance. Love this concept. What's that then? Okay, so cognitive dissonance is where I try and hold two competing views in my mind at the same time. Okay. Now, you know, the the psychology around this is really interesting and it gets complex. Um, People try hard to do this. They they try to hold two competing, um, you know, do this, do this, hang on, they're opposed. But I try and process it using my logic circuits, giving them the same weight. It's almost impossible. Probably, actually, let me give you a good example of cognitive dissonance. I've worked with loads of very clever people over the years. You know, people that you look at and you just think, man, I wish I was half as smart as you were. And a lot of those people smoke and they know the science. They know the statistics. So in one hand, they've got a cigarette. In the other hand, they've got the science that says you should ditch the cigarette and live longer. Yeah. I'm picturing the old and, Tom and Jerry cartoon with the, the devil on one side and the angel yes, on the other. <laughs> it, okay, so run with that theme for a second. I, I've got the devil on one side, I've got the angel on the other, and the devil's got the cigarette and the angel's got the science, and they're, they're, they're kind of battling it out. Now, the, the reason I've chosen cigarette smoking is it, it's it, it's an addiction, and it's not something you can just give up by snapping your fingers and saying, oh, right, I'm done with it. When you talk to a lot of cigarette smokers, they'll tell you, I enjoy smoking. Yeah, I enjoy the inhalation. I, I enjoy the social time with people outside. Um, I, I enjoy the camaraderie that that offers. I enjoy the um, the, the conversation, etc., etc., etc. And then all of a sudden, you can see this twisted look on their face when they realise that they're telling you about something they enjoy doing when the science says they should kick it. Yeah, and that's basically cognitive dissonance at, at its heart. They're holding two conflicting views simultaneously. Now, as human beings, we're not good at this. So one of those views really needs to win. And this is where you hear stories of, yeah, well, my grandmother, she smoked every day and she lived to 99, got hit by a bus. (laughs) It it, it wasn't the smoking that killed her. um, It was the bus. So what what they're doing is they're they're using something else Mm. to say that that their activity will be okay. So if we go back to this idea of trust for a second, cognitive dissonance says I have angel on one shoulder. I have a set of values, and one of those says trust. Yeah. And on the other shoulder, you've got the devil who is saying, well, this person is your boss. You don't have an option. They, They are your manager. Deal with it. Other people have worse managers. And all the what-if scenarios, presumably. What if you lose your job? Exactly right. Correct. And what happens over time is one of those two has to win out. And either what I do, and I'll use a a great phrase that you and I have both kind of relate to, which is that ethical fading. Mm. Um, Taken from Simon Sinek's great book, The Infinite Game. You know, all of a sudden, I start allowing their views, their values to to permeate my world. Now, if I don't, what is the best way for me to deal with this? Because I'm not going to approach it head on, am I? No. No. So what do you you reckon? What's the best way? It's it's the um, the hide it or it's the go away, isn't it? It's the flee. You know, it's, okay, I'm going to go and find, I'm going to go and find a new manager. Yes. Yes. I'm going to move to a new team. 
Um, I, I'm, and quite possibly do something that maybe is not as enjoyable or I'm not as skilled at doing. doesn't really matter, but I'm, I'm extracting myself. Or, or I'm going to find a new organization. Uh, you know, the, I, I think this, this idea of, of trust is it's so big. Yeah. It is the glue that holds a team together. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I've certainly in my career seen a lot of groups of people that call themselves a team, but there's zero trust between them. It's interesting. So you know that I do the five dysfunctions of a team, and uh, one of the first questionnaires that we get them to complete is um, is around uh, how they value themselves uh, or evaluate themselves, I should say, in each of the five areas of the five dysfunctions of a team. And um, it produces a report. And I don't think I have ever done uh, a five dysfunctions course and i'm desperately trying to think of one to prove myself wrong and i can't i don't think i've ever done a five dysfunctions course where that hasn't come out as perfect green that element Mm -hmm. of trust oh yes we all trust each other we all trust and then they come on the course and by the end of the first day of two days (laughs) they turn around and say yeah we don't trust each other actually so my learning from that is that um, it, maybe it's the cognitive dissonance. Maybe it's the fact that they are trying to convince themselves that they do trust, or maybe it's a lack of understanding of exactly what trust is. How would you define trust? I, I think that's a really interesting one, and there's lots of different views on what is trust. Is it the overlap of uh, of your, your competence and your confidence? Is it something to do with your behavioural makeup? Is it is it a mindset? Is it an aptitude? Is it an attitude? There's there's so many different ways of looking at it. But I, th- I think trust fundamentally comes down to a belief. Mm-hmm. The, the belief that I have in you that um, your intent is good. And I think that's important. Uh, we've all worked with idiots. <laughs> <laughs> but Present no, company exactly. None of them... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've I've never met an idiot that got out of bed and said, "Today I'm going to do some daft stuff at work." They got out of bed with the intent to do a good thing, to to do a good job, to deliver what needed to be. But that doesn't change the fact they're an idiot. You know that this, <laughs> but their intent was good. So I I think even though people may do, I don't want to say bad things because bad has that kind of almost that intent of doing a bad, but might might do things wrong or, or might make mistakes. Our belief needs to be in their intent. What, what, what was their intent at the start of the exercise? I, I did an exercise with a team that many years ago, uh, I, I'd been working with this team over a period of time and I knew there was a problem with it. And I, I could see what it was. And you've nailed it on the head uh, with your the five dysfunctions comment that basically there was some trust failings in the team. And what we did, we did an anonymous survey. And I thought, you know, when you do something that you think this could work really well, or this could be career limiting. Oh, yes. <laughs> this, oh, yes. This, could, <laughs> this could go horribly wrong. So basically what we did was anonymous questionnaire and it was very pointed. Who do you trust? Who do you not trust? Now, the interesting thing was, and I don't remember, I think there were eight people in the team, seven of those people had one person that they said, we don't trust. All seven, same person. The interesting thing was the eighth person had seven people that they didn't trust. 
There was, there was only one person they trusted, and that was themselves. They didn't trust anybody else in the team. And, and there was that reciprocation. Yeah. Without knowing it, the fact that this person trusted no one in the team, people in the team could sense that, and they went back the other way. And, and we're back to this belief of intent. Sorry, did you get to the bottom of why they didn't trust each other? We did, and... Um, there, there was there were a number of issues that had been going on for a long time, uh, but if we go all the way back to you know your early comment about naturally some people are naturally trusting and some people less so, and uh, our default position is not trusting because that's perhaps the safest place. Yes, you know if if I trust you and you let me down, then I might get hurt. Yeah, yeah. Um, emotionally, physically whatever i might get hurt this one individual came from a place of total and unwavering distrust trust he was that poster he was the x-files trust no one <laughs> yeah and, and it didn't matter what people did there was nothing there was nothing they could do that that would uh sufficiently fund that trust account to the point where he said, oh, I might just give you a little bit. He was perpetually waiting for someone to let him down. So he could then pat himself on the back and say, well done. Good thing I didn't trust that person. There, there, there were lots of little things. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing was I, in doing that exercise, um, I'll, I'll be honest and say um, I did the exercise and I didn't really think through the how am I going to deal with the fallout if if there is any, you know, how, how am I going to address the, uh, okay, well, let's now think about how we fix some of these. We did have a very successful resolution of that team. Uh, unfortunately for the one person who was the distruster, um, they ended up basically self-selecting themselves out of that team, mm. which was not the purpose of the exercise. Um, they played a key role. They were very much, uh, they were very, uh, very key to the data integrity, the, the, the turning that data into information and knowledge within that team. But they were key to that. It would have been better if they'd stayed. Yeah. Um, but from a trust perspective, things improved overnight mm. with that person moving on. For the group. So, yes, correct. correct. And also for the, um, the collective output. Yeah of the group they they were starting to function as a team rather than eight individuals with this common manager and what okay. i found as well is that if you go in with that approach that you're talking about for that uh, that individual of i will not trust because it's self-preservation it's uh, it's amazing how quickly that breeds distrust from other people to you isn't it yeah yeah yeah, you, you, I, th I think you could almost sense it, can't you? Mm. Yeah. This person doesn't trust me. It's the guarded tone of voice, isn't it? <laughs> that comes yeah. across. And the fact uh, when you uh, ask them a question, uh, they don't seem to give you a straight answer. <laughs> they skirt around the side and, exactly. uh, and you ask the same question again and again. And finally, you have to say, well, let's stop here. What, you know, where's this going? Yeah. All of those belie that sense of, there's a, been a breakdown of trust between us. Yes. Can I give you a scenario um, that I experienced um, and yeah. it went terribly wrong? And um, what 
as I tell you the scenario, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to, to see whether you can spot to see whether I should have done something differently to get a better result, a more positive result. So, so is, before you say that, is this something that you have mulled over in your own mind many times? And of course, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> of course. Okay, all right. Okay, so I was uh, I was in a team, and we were trying in within the team to create uh, an environment of trust. And part of that mm -hmm. environment of trust, according to Lencioni's five dysfunctions, is to uh, to mine for conflict. The uh, the whole concept of mining for trust is that it's uh, it comes as a result of uh, having a vulnerability or showing a vulner vulnerability uh, in your own capability. So my turn, I put my hand up. I said, uh, "Okay, here's my situation. My situation is that senior leader in the organisation." has asked me to facilitate a, uh, an, an elite group of people which he will handpick from his organization and those elite people will be personally mentored by him and I will facilitate the whole thing. My immediate thought was I don't like it because when you start handpicking people based upon uh, nothing but subjectivity it's going mm -hmm. to come out as well, he's your favourite, so therefore you pick him. If there was some science behind it, then I'm all for it. What does the rest of the group think? The rest of the group utterly lambasted the whole concept of, of having an elite group. You know, it goes against the corporate values, it goes against the way in which we do things here, uh, it will just create anarchy, there is no way you need to go back to him and you need to do this. You need to tell him exactly what's what and that he can't do this. And, you know, no, no mincing of the words. Tell you what they said, we'll, we'll write the email with you. <laughs> and we spent the rest of the meeting under the guidance of the, our leader of writing the email. Julie sent and I put my trust, my whole faith in the, the work of the group endorsed by, by the leader. And the end result was the, uh, the senior leader of the organization took complete umbrage, which was very personal to me, uh, <laughs> to the point that he wouldn't talk to me anymore. I went up to him and I said, do we, do, do we have a problem, you and I? And he said, no, I'm just going to do everything myself. Uh, you know, if you don't want to get involved, you don't get involved, but I'll just do it myself anyway. My boss then seemed to go to him and say, yeah, he's a bit of a maverick, my lad, isn't he? <laughs> Oh, and so subsequently, there was a complete breakdown in trust with a very senior le leader in the t in the uh, in the organisation, which had an impact on my career because yep. I put my trust in the team. Could I have and could I have and should I have done something differently to get a better result? What that that was a sharp intake of breath. <laughs> I think it was the previous premier of Singapore. He was asked about the current premier's performance on a specific issue, and he said something along the lines of, "How can, how can I comment? I I don't have his data." And I think that's a really interesting way of looking at the world. You know, it's difficult for me to comment because I don't have your data. I I didn't know the the nature of the relationships. Um, I don't know what was in the email or how the email was worded. I, I think knowing you, you did the right thing for Jonathan at the time. You know, that, that, there was nothing else you could have done. 
you had the support of the organization at that moment in time. Hindsight's a great teacher, isn't it? Mm. You know, um, if I'd just done this or if I'd just done that. Do, do you know, here's the interesting thing. Here, now this is the kicker, trust. So I, I, I need to trust you or another, whoever that is, my boss or another team member or another facilitator or whatever, it doesn't really matter. I need to trust a another. And then they let me down. And who do I beat up in all of this? Myself. I beat up me. <laughs> yeah. I beat me up. We are so unfair on ourselves. We beat ourselves up for somebody else's failure. You know, you did the right thing. Um, and I genuinely believe that you did the right thing. Uh, I also, based on what you've just told me, I, I think that the reason was right. Like you say, it's, it's that let's create a bunch of mini me's, yeah. you know, and then what? And then what I'll do is I'll quietly promote them into positions that surround me, and now I've got a bubble of me. Exactly you, my fear. You know, yeah. Uh, yep. And and not only have I now got a bubble of me, um, it's that whole idea of zero diversity, no new ideas, no new ways of thinking. The learning that I would take out of all of this is that we do not deserve to beat ourselves up about someone else's failure. Mm. Um, what we should do is we should congratulate ourselves for actually wanting to trust someone and saying, you know what, it wasn't my failure. They let themselves down. You're absolutely right, and particularly about the, the beating ourselves up piece i did beat myself up and also the relationship that existed between me and my colleagues after this episode was never quite the same because it was always going to be tainted upon the experience or by the experience mm -hmm. the 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 rationale that i did i i came to in my head to cope with it was they might have done this in order to uh further their career some of them actually did have a bit of a, a, a problem with the leader, as in they'd had a run in with, with the leader and therefore whatever the leader wanted to do was was not going to be good by them. So there's a prejudice that came probably came through. And maybe maybe the only thing that I could have done differently would be to challenge where they were coming from when they said to do that, do this and do that. And you know, it's funny, isn't it? Because every. Everything in my mind that says, well, you could have done this, or you could have done that, or you could have done this. But all of them just say, I don't trust you. You know, you, you could have said in your email on discussing this with X as a team, this is our position. But what you're effectively doing is you're, you're creating that, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drag you into the loop. Yes. Whether, whether you like it or not, as a way of forcing you to be trustworthy. Mm. It also feels a little bit weak as well, you know, like um, I'm, I'm hiding behind other people to deliver mm. bad news. But again, this is, this is the difference between an employed position and a consultancy role. And I think some people are more suited to being employed and some people are more suited to being in a consultancy role. One of the things I've discovered about myself over the years is that I'm not the most tolerant person when it comes to ignorance. When I use the word ignorance, I'm using it in its in its most in its dictionary sense. It's you know, it's a lack of knowledge. I'm not talking about someone being stupid. When a very senior politician suggests that drinking bleach or putting it into <laughs> your veins could be a good thing to do, my ignorometer flies up and says, you know what? Maybe you don't know a lot about medicine. Maybe you shouldn't be talking about it. That individual 
is clearly not stupid. You don't get to be in that position by being stupid. He's clearly not stupid, but he doesn't know a lot about medicine and he should perhaps maybe invite people that know more about medicine to speak. I've discovered that I don't I don't weather ignorance well. If someone doesn't know about a topic, you know, you, you started this call by saying you spent the last week learning about stuff online. What you were doing was removing that ignorance of that topic. You, you are now schooled sufficiently to talk about it. And when you combine that ignorance with arrogance, things just don't sit well with me. You know what? I want someone to put their hand up and say, I don't know and I need help. And I'm one of the first people to do that. You know, if I'm put in a position, okay, I don't know. I've never been there. So, so is that your route one to, to creating distrust between you and the other person? Ignorance plus arrogance. That's an interesting one, isn't it? I think it's a combination of things, isn't it? And it always will be. You know, you have the, 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 the interaction of talking to each other. There are so many subtle nuances that we read as to whether or not I can trust someone. Did this person put an excessively long pause in the <laughs> sentence? You know, uh, did this person just look away as they said something like, to be honest with you? Uh, do they use a phrase like, to be honest with you, too frequently? You know, there's all these very subtle things that no one's ever taught us to use, but we pick up on, and then when you take those and you add to it that combination of ignorance and arrogance, as a consultant, we can walk away from that. Or, or you can address it head on, because you don't have a career that, that you are about to end. You and, don't have a career, though, but you do have a customer correct. <laughs> that you might be about to end. You, you're right. And oftentimes it's, it comes back to the how, not just the what. So, so how am I going to address this? Yeah. And, and I guess if we go back even further and we think about the, the why, do I even need to address it? it? It may well be that our engagement is such that I deliver or what, what needs to be delivered, but I walk away from that thinking I'm not sure I trust that individual. And it's interesting. I, I, I worked with someone a few years ago who was brilliant. And I, I use that word sparingly. She was brilliant. Very, very clever incredible capacity to analyze and synthesize information. She could just take it all in, take it apart, reassemble it, and you were just like, wow. But she trusted no one. Um, and her view was very much proof to me you can be trusted. And it was interesting because I, I was there managing the L&D piece for this overall program. So I, I had a number of trainers that I was working with. And, and she came to me one day and said, how, how, can, how do you know you trust how can you trust these people? And my answer was, how can I not? You know, yeah. um, they, they have a very specific remit with which they need to deliver, and I, I cannot do their work for them. She kind of walked away shaking her head, you know, that, that this guy doesn't really know what he's on about. He's far too soft, and, you know, he, he, he's, he just trusts these people. He shouldn't trust them. How, how does he know that they're trustworthy? Although to this day, I would still wonder whether or not she trusted the way I worked and the incredible success that was the program we ran. She had a view that she needed to know everything that everybody else was doing so she could decide whether or not those ducks lined up, whether or not she could trust you. 
Isn't that interesting? That is so fascinating because it creates distrust to me. Because, you know, I've, I've worked for managers like that, exactly like that. They want to know exactly what you're doing. And my first reaction yep. is to go on the back foot, guarded. Why do you want to know what I'm doing? Do you not trust me? However hard that, that manager tried to tell me, no, it's not because I don't trust you. It's just that I want to know. It just didn't stack up in my head. You know, it was... It's like it's like uh, the situational le leadership, Blanchard and Hershey. Mm -hmm. It's like getting through to the uh, the delegation piece, and the person's still looking over your shoulder all the time. It feels yep. like you, you're saying I'm competent. You're saying that I can fly solo, but you still want to look over my shoulder and check that I'm doing everything correctly. So actions versus words, and you'll always go with actions, won't you? The action is and you want to check up. I wonder if this has got something to do with my maturity as a manager, as a leader of a team, as a leader of people. You know, do I have sufficient maturity to be able to say, I trust you and I will accept the consequences of trusting you? So coming back to the, um, the function of training and in a classroom, mm. Um, have you ever been in, in the, the situation where you've got a group of people for, let's say, a week, you know, some, some mm -hmm. period yeah. of time, um, and you can almost taste the air of distrust on day one morning? <laughs> yep. <laughs> and um, yes. th there's the challenge, isn't it? The, the gauntlet is thrown down. It's like, Nathan, prove to us that you are a trustworthy individual to train us on this particular topic, mm -hmm. isn't it? How do you yep. go about it? Well, I think I think one of the, the the first things to talk about is how we ended up there in the first place, and I, I can recount many situations like that, as I'm sure you can. Yeah. But I, I would suggest that nine out of ten people that fall into that category have been told to be there. Yes. Yes. They didn't volunteer to be there. They don't recognise it as being beneficial to their growth, to their development, to their future career. They have just been told to be there. And the other one thinks they can do a better job than you can. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what can you teach me? Exactly. Uh, I think the first things first is it's that pre-engagement piece that actually says, you know what, we as facilitators plus L&D teams, HR departments, etc., need to do more prior to that event to ensure engagement. Like what? Um, um, people need to understand the why. We keep coming back to this, don't we? You know, why have they been nominated? As an organisation, we don't do mandatory type training. So when I talk about that, I'm talking about health and safety or your knee boshes and, your, you know, that kind of thing. That's not what we do. We don't do forklift driving and, you know, the, the kind of stuff that you have to have in order to work on the site. The type of training we do is really about personal effective leadership, change, presentation skills, the kind of things that make managers and leaders, you know, the stuff that you are good at. This is the stuff that makes managers and leaders, it propels them in their career. But if, if people don't understand the why, if people don't understand that the, the, the whiffum, that the what's in it for them, if they can't see that at the end of this, They'll get a certificate. They will get um, something out of it that will make them better equipped for attending meetings or giving presentations. Or if they do not recognise that this is going to put them in a better place than it was previously, 
there will be that resistance. And that resistance comes out in that arms crossed, I don't trust you. So I think that there's, there's that piece first that says we, we need to work closer with the organisations that are contracting us to, to deliver this. So rather than it being just a turn up on Monday, deliver the course, go away, send us an invoice, it says the week beforehand, here's an initial email that you can send out. Um, three days beforehand, here's another email. Um, Friday beforehand, here's, here's a flyer that maybe you can get to each one of those people, that kind of thing that says, you know, we're really looking forward to seeing you. Here's a little bit about your facilitator. Yeah, yeah, good idea. Okay, there's a photo of your facilitator. Um, if they've got any kind of professional qualifications, there are their professional qualifications and where those qualifications came from. Here's some of the situations they've found themselves in. Here's some of the organizations they've trained for to get over that credibility. Uh, the whole idea of, well, who are you and why, why, are we, why are we even talking to you? Yeah. So I think, so I think that that helps. Um, but there is always that initial arms crossed. I'm going to, uh, you know, prove to me that, that we should trust you and, and what you're saying. Mm. And I, I can't say that I have a, um, a standard, you know, ABC of I'll do this. And by the time I get to D, everybody will trust me implicitly. Um, trust in a training room is really based on relationship. Do you, if it's based on relationship, they have to get to know you. How do you go about allowing them to get to know you when, when really the training uh, content and the topic is not about you? It's about it's about well, it's about whatever it is, isn't it? Yeah, like presentation yeah. skills or whatever it is you you're delivering. Um, and I think this is all part of the whole uh, housekeeping piece at the start that says, you know, the reason we're doing this is to keep you safe. We're not doing this exercise because we have to. We're doing this exercise because in the event we have to leave the room in a hurry, we all get out, we all get out safely, and we end up at the right place. And then we carry that on to, in order for this course to be a success, we're going to spend four or three, four, five days together, however long. Let's take a little bit of time now to get to know each other uh, a little bit more. And the challenge here is when you're working with a team who already know each other, and this is where you can throw some curveballs into the mix so rather than just the standard who are you you can throw some things into the mix about you know where did you grow up uh, what's the worst job you've ever had so i once did something like this and it was yeah. had hilarious uh, end result which was that uh, i did it for um uh, cable and wireless and there was uh, it was a very male dominated uh, room, quite a large group as well, something like twenty odd people. And uh, we went around the room, and and everybody had to say something about themselves which nobody in the room knew. And it went went around the room until right towards the very end, there was a really good looking girl, and uh, she stood up and quite brazenly said, "This this is something that nobody knows about me. I used to be a pole dancer." She sat down, all of the bloke's jaws dropped, and there was total silence whilst everyone processed the whole thought. <laughs> what had just been said? Yeah. <laughs> but I tell you what, they, they never forgot that training course as a result of that moment. I, I did a similar thing. Got everybody, but rather than um, speak it out loud, I got them to write it. Oh, yeah, yeah. On a piece of paper, one-liner. And I gave everybody in the room a blank piece of paper, one to twelve, and I read out each one of these. Now, bearing in mind that you know, I don't, I don't know you, you don't know me, 
and, and I'd thrown mine into the mix as well. Yeah. And uh, and you, you basically had to look around the room and go, you know, and then you look at their name tag and write down a name as to what it was. One of the delegates put on there that they just had a full body wax. <laughs> right. So um, this was similar to Cable and Wireless. This organization, heavily male-dominated, big in the engineering world, and uh, there was two females in the room. Uh, and unsurprisingly, everybody assumed, you know, every single person in the room put down one of those two females. And I then said, okay, so what I'd like you to do now is just, I'm, I'm going to read this out. And if you could just stand up and, and maybe if you want to explain a little bit about it. Uh, I've just had a full body wax and this gentleman stood up. And similar, <laughs> similar to yours, you could see the jaws just <laughs> whack on the table. And the two women were cracking up laughing. They thought it was hilarious. And it turned out he was an ultra distance runner. Ah. And he was doing a marathon in the Sahara. And hair and sand apparently do not go together. Oh. People had shared things with the room that otherwise they would not have yeah. known about. And, and, and it, was, it was great because that led on to so many other conversations and so much more than just what we were there to do. I would argue, Nathan, that um, you can't build trust unless you know the person. You cannot build that level of trust. So when people, when people come to me and say, I do not trust my organization, I don't believe that. I don't agree with that statement at all. Because, you know, it's like saying, I don't trust the table. It's an <laughs> inanimate object, isn't it? An organization yeah, yeah, is yeah. an inanimate object. You might not trust someone or some group yes. of people within the organization. And that's really what you're saying, isn't it? The element of trust is, is on an individual basis. Two very, very different CEOs. One CEO walked the floor, knew everybody's name, utterly, utterly convincing as an individual. He developed a huge level of trust. So when he stood up and said, look, this is the direction I'm taking this company, everyone said, right, let's, let's do it. Let's go. What do I need to do? Exactly. Yeah. Second individual who then uh, succeeded him didn't do that, was completely a different type of character, very cold, very sort of analytical, very good with, with numbers, I'm sure. Came from a, from a financial um, or an engineering background or, you know, something like that. Um, didn't walk the talk, uh, did not get to know people really, preferred mm -hmm. to do everything via email than face-to-face. -face. No trust whatsoever, nothing. Mm. Like he wanted to take the organisation in a slightly different way and you could just hear all the murmurings in the uh, in the office of, well, why are we doing that? Mm. Never, would never have been done with the previous leader. Nobody ever questioned it because of that element of trust. So I would suggest that when they say, I don't trust the organization, what they're actually saying is, I don't trust the direction that we're being mm. taken by the senior leadership team. I just happened to be in the same place at the same time with this guy. And I said to him, so you've been on this program. What's your biggest single takeaway? And I thought, here it comes. Here, here comes the good stuff. I, I probably need to sit down and brace myself <laughs> for this. This is going to be awesome. And he proceeded to tell me that basically that the way an organization works is by the chief executive creating a vision and then that vision being broken down and passed down through the layers. And I'm kind of sitting there looking at him thinking, that's it. 
<laughs> yeah, and <laughs> that was it. Shocking. So shocking. Mm. Um, but the interesting thing is, when you look back on that situation, you think this is the problem that organisations have. CEO has a vision, and what's not happening is that vision is then being translated into a mission and into strategy and into tactics at the levels below that people go, I trust that we're doing the right thing. And the reason we're doing this is because when you go in reverse, the tactics that we are engaged in is enabling the strategy that has been set out. That's leading into the vision, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I think the, that gap between say and do is massive. And the person that comes up with the, you know, just do this and it'll fix everything will end up very wealthy. So moving that onto a micro level in the training room, isn't that exactly what you're saying about how to set up the course? This is the reason why we're here. And it's not so that we can pass an exam at the end. It's it's so that we can do the best possible job in order to help our customers or something, you know, something like yeah. that. So you can give the best presentation you've ever given. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what you know? starts to build the trust. It was interesting. I did some work for an organization a few years ago, and uh, it was presentation skills. It was a small group of people. It was five people, and the two owners of the company, um, super nice guys and smart, just, again, you look at these people and think, I wish I had half your smarts. Um, But they said, look, the the reason we're doing this is we want to sell our business, and we want to make a presentation to a company that's going to buy us. And it was for millions. And I'm standing there going, well, no pressure then. (laughs) Uh, I've got to turn you into overnight miracles kind of thing. And the really nice thing was that we we spent the entire time basically designing and redesigning their pitch. It wasn't a presentation skills course at all. It was a pitch. Uh, They sold the company. They bought new Porsches. They were both very happy men. But at the end of it, they rang up and said, that, that was awesome. Thanks very much. Really appreciated that. Could you come back and run the presentation skills course now? <laughs> <laughs> so so I guess what I'm really getting at here is that um, it, it goes back to that idea of they, they, they had an, uh, a very clear end game that said, we, we are going to pitch this business to a bunch of people who are big on the global scale and have a massive footprint, and we're a small player um, relative to them, but we need to present ourselves in a way that says you're doing the right thing by buying us. So it it wasn't about giving them a certificate. Now, I I went in there with workbooks and certificates, you know, all printed out with their names on and things like that, and at the end of it, I said to them, we haven't done the course. How can I give you this? And we all had a good laugh about the fact that i created these for them and everything like that and um or, or those have been those had been created for them and uh and it was a case of the, the end game was not the certificate no it was the what can i really get out of this and and that then said we trust you come back and do some more for us so i, so, I love that and i think <laughs> I think I'm going to draw a, a summary from from all of that as to everything we've been talking beautiful. about. Beautiful. Which is, you originally went in there, there was that period of time, I'm sure, where where people were, who is this? How do mm-hmm. I can trust him to, to give me all this information? 
that then was converted probably through a display of your expertise to them asking questions and the questions took you down a path which was not prepared which was uh, completely different to what you were originally thinking you were going to do and the way that you dealt with that proved to them that you could be trusted uh, to do further and different training events um, and the fact that it, it, it got the result that they were looking for even better, even better. So, so there's an initial display of expertise, I think, which helps us in the training room. There is that element of your personal experience or who you are, which helps us to, to be able to trust the words which come out of your mouth. Um, and then there is the, uh, the, the intent, and your intent was to help. And that came through because you were adaptable and you were able to facilitate what they really needed at that particular point in time. The knock-on effect was that you got more business. So good work, matey. Good work. Cheers. Um, <laughs> so on that note, it has been, as always, a pleasure talking to you, Jonathan. Uh, thank you all for taking the time to listen to two old guys chat about L&D. Uh, we hope that everybody stays safe. And we look forward to you tuning in in about a week's time for the next episode where we will chat about whatever takes our fancy between now and then. Well, huge thanks to Nathan. And if you've enjoyed today's podcast, please do subscribe to us. And if you like what you hear, we'd love it if you could leave us a review on your podcast channel. Thanks again, and we look forward to next week's episode where Nathan and I, two old dogs, will be training new tricks. <laughs>